You guys, let's pray, and we will get started with the message. Father, man, God, thank you for the chance that we just had to come before your throne, to lay at your feet, to sing worship to you, Lord. Lord, thank you that we are blessed, God, beyond measure in this church, Father. I mean, literally beyond measure, God. Some churches struggle to just get one worship team together, and we've got four. Lord, you, are, you, are, you bless us, God. We're, we're so thankful for it. Father, I pray today as we dig into your word, as we um, worship in this way, God. Lord, would you open our ears Father, would you open our hearts and our minds? Lord, would you give us receptiveness, Lord, that only can come from you? And Father, I pray that over each and every person that's here. Lord, if there be people here that don't know you, God, I pray, Lord, today would be the day that they would come to know you. God, for those of us that know you, Father, I pray today, Lord, we would learn and glean and grow in the calling you've laid on our lives, Lord. Lord, that you would change us, Father, from the inside out through your holy word, Lord God. And Lord, in all of that, I pray, get me out of the way. Lord, we came here to hear from you. Father, we want that. Father, please speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys, this week, we are going to be digging into a few heavy subjects. So I want to put some things out there before we even begin. Number one. I am only as scholarly as I claim to be, which is not very much. We're covering a passage of scripture that is a very uh, debated, a very hard passage. And I'm not up here acting like I've got it all figured out. And I just want to clarify that because you might, we might get to the end of this message and you'd be like, he is off his rocker. And I say to that, you might be right. But I'm doing my best here to parse out God's word and to be faithful to what I see here. So I'm going to present to you some things through a passage that, to be honest with you guys, has been argued about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so we're going to look at it. We're going to discuss it. And I'm excited to dig through it. But overall, you guys, and this is the thing I'm always more excited about, I'm more excited about how this passage is going to show us our need for Jesus. Amen? Because that's the most important part. It's our need for Jesus, right? We can cover the stuff that everybody's debated for hundreds of years, but at the end of the day, if we take Jesus out of that equation, we've missed the entire point. And so I want to make it quite clear today, yes, we're going to be covering some things. Yes, we're going to be digging into the Greek, and if that bores you, sorry, but we got to. We're going to be looking at different parts of Scripture and looking at it and trying to like figure it out, but don't lose Jesus in all of it. So, You ready? Let's dig in. Verse 13 of chapter 16 in Matthew says this. It says, when Jesus came in to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciple, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So Jesus took his disciples away from where they were, which if you guys remember, just last week, 
Where did they end up leaving off? It said that they were in the area over on the, like, the east side or the, I guess technically the west side of the, well, put up the map. We'll look at it. They were on the west side of Galilee. You guys remember? Over on the, on, on the left there of the map of the Sea of Galilee, which is down there at the bottom if you don't see it. They went up and it said at the very last passage that they crossed back across again. And so they went back across, and so most scholars believe they were maybe in the area of Bethsaida or wherever. Why? Well, because it's kind of a northern point on the Sea of Galilee. Why? Because they were going up north to the Caesarea Philippi area, and that was mostly a Gentile area. And so they went up there. Why was it Caesarea Philippi? Because there's another Caesarea that the Romans named that was near the port over on the ocean side. And so, you know, They weren't that fancy, so they just named it Caesarea Philippi, named after Philip, because that was where he ruled. So pretty pretty amazing, right? So that's where they're at. They're up there, up north, and you'll see Mount Hermon right up above that, which we're going to get into next week. But I just want to give you guys, I don't know if you all need this. I do. When I study, I'm always looking at maps. I want to see, like, what does this mean, and how does this look? It's about a 30 to 40-mile trip from the Sea of Galilee up there. So they went quite a ways, again. And remember, we just looked at the fact that they went out to Tyre, which is over there in the left in Sidon, and that was like a 150-mile round trip that they had just taken. So they're getting a lot of walking in. They're getting their steps in, you guys. I bet they were all very skinny, <laughs> right? They didn't need to go to them step classes. They just got them in. So anyway, they're north of the Sea of Galilee, and why did he do that? Why did he take them up to this area? Well, a lot of scholars believe, and I believe too, he needed to get away from all the Jews, because not because they were bothering him, but because what happened every time he went around the Sea of Galilee? Crowd. Right away, crowd. Healing. Ministry. And he was like, man, time is growing short here. It's been about two years plus at this point. We know that Jesus only lived about three, three and a half years of ministry time. Right? He lived about 33-ish, 34, somewhere in that area. Right? We don't know exactly. But we know that he had about three, three and a half years of, of ministry because it started when he was 30, right? And so he was going up north. Why? To take his disciples away and say, I need to tell you some things. I need to give you some information. And so that's what it seems like he was doing. And so he asks them this question as they were on their way. He says, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And these, they said to him, all complimentary things, man, We've heard some people say you're like a reincarnated version of John the Baptist, right? Which we actually heard that already. Because remember, Herod had beheaded John the Baptist, heard about this guy named Jesus giving, doing all these miracles. And what did he say right away? Oh no, John the Baptist has returned to just take me out, right? Like he was nervous about it. So obviously we've actually heard that already. They said, some people said he was like Elijah. Who was Elijah? Like one of the greatest prophets ever, right? The guy that like, was like got used by God to call down fire on Mount Carmel, right? The guy that, that dropped the best insult on a bunch of false prophets ever. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know my grace goes, mm-hmm, yeah, you've said it. Listen, this is the best insult ever. I'm just saying, if someone says that they want their God to do something, then it's little G God, it's a fake God. The best insult you could ever give whenever it doesn't respond is like, oh, he must be in the bathroom. And that's what Elijah said. Elijah's like, maybe, maybe Baal's actually on the toilet. Maybe he's out there on the bathroom. Maybe that's the problem and why he's not responding to you. I love that insult. Anyway, some people said that about him. Some people called him Jeremiah or one of the prophets. These were all, for the Jewish mind, these were like huge compliments. 
These were saying something. These were saying, you're obviously not just a regular guy. There is something more to you. God has put some calling on your life that's different. And I think that it's important that we hear these things because even then, people knew he was different. People knew there was something different about him. And I want to say this, the same is true today. People look at Jesus and they know there's something different about him. They'll say, oh, he was a really good teacher. He was a holy man. He was just a good person. He really lived a good life. You'll hear those things, don't you? In the more modern day, though, we've also heard some really negative things, haven't we? Jesus was a racist. Jesus was a bigot. Jesus was this. Jesus was this thing that hurt my heart because I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. You want to say he's a good man? Yeah, I agree, but, but, he, but he wasn't just a good man. Right? He was God. God in flesh, walking the earth. Why? Specifically to die on the cross and rise again for our sins, to pay for them, to take care of something that we as humans couldn't take care of for ourselves. That's his whole goal in life. That was his whole goal of even being born on earth. And the coolest part about all that, y'all, is the fact that he knew exactly his mission before the world was ever created. He knew that before Genesis was even a thought. Like, think that thought through. Can you? I don't know that we can. That like before all of this stuff, before God was like, hey, you know what I think would be cool, you guys? Let's do this. Right? Like, let's whip up a world. Before any of that, Jesus is like, this is already going to happen. We're going to do this. And then I'm going to go die for them to make sure that there's a right way to be with me, God. That's pretty mind-blowing. And so he hears these things, but notice he doesn't argue with them about it. He's not, why? Because he wanted to know, and they told him. But then I love this. Jesus says to him, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Not what everybody else thinks. You. Who do you think that I am? It's a very profound question. And Peter, as always, right? You're going to see this a lot through scripture, specifically in the, uh, in the gospels, that whenever anything is asked by Jesus or whenever Jesus makes a statement, the next thing you say, or that you'll read a lot of times is Simon Peter answered, right? He just was that guy. In some ways that was great, right? He was that guy that answered for the group. He was probably the oldest in the group, most scholars believe, right? Like he was that guy that answered for him. So was he doing his job? Yes. If we are represented as a church, I will probably be the one to answer, for the group, right? That's not unnormal. But unfortunately, you guys, you guys are stuck with a Peter because I also will answer too quickly and I'll put my foot in my mouth, which Peter does all the time, right? And that's the way it goes. And so here, Peter though, dude, he dropped some knowledge. He dropped some good words, right? Words that were profound and important to this profound and important question. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who Jesus is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This one question, you guys, is a question that every human has to answer. Every human. Every human. Your answer to that question determines your eternal destination. And it's the same, you guys, that it's been 
from this time till today and for however long God tarries. For however long we stick around on this ball of dirt, you guys, each generation, each human that's born has to come to that point of decision one way or the other. They have to come to that. And so Peter answers this in this most profound, most amazing way. And I love it because God's like, blessed are you, man, you rock, Peter. And this, the one thing, right on. You did it right, right? But notice what he says. Not, man, you rock. You're smart, Peter. You, I don't know where all that fishing went because, woo, you got some knowledge. No, none of that. He's like, God told you. God told you. And I want us to, to notice something because it's going to play a part into the next section we read. Do you guys notice that he actually doesn't call him Peter here? He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Barjona means, you know, son of Jonah. So Jonah, we find out that Peter and Andrew's dad's name was Jonah, right? So Simon Barjona, Simon was actually his given name. Why does that matter? Well, the reality is this. You guys, Jesus said this to him because, and it's interesting. What was his commendation to Peter? He was like, hey, Simon Barjona, you did great. You heard directly from the Lord. Simon in Hebrew means hearer. You see the play on words? He's like, you hearer, you heard right. Good job. That's what he's saying. He's not calling him Peter. He's calling him Simon. The hearer heard directly from God. God had revealed this truth to him. And I want to say this to you guys. We are here every Sunday talking about Jesus. You will hear from this pulpit all the time. Listen, if you are here today and you have not accepted the work that Jesus did on the cross, do it today. You will never stop hearing that. For all of you guys that are already saved, can I say, I hope you're encouraged that that's happening from the pulpit because that's what got you here. That's what got me here was someone that was willing enough to be like, hey, you need to understand that Jesus died for you. But here's the thing, and I've told you this before, none of us can bring anybody into the kingdom of God. It's God's job. If that was the case, I would be drop kicking everybody through the door. You know, I'm just being real. My family, I'd be like, get in there. (laughs) You're going to heaven. (laughs) You know, like, wouldn't we all? Because I love the Lord and I know what the Lord's done in my life. And man, I want that to be true for every person's life. And if that meant a little physical pain and it took us to get you there and that's what I could do, I would. But I can't. I can't. None of us can. What am I saying? The same way Peter didn't know this in his own brain, that it was something that God revealed. The same is true for us, you guys. God had a part to play. God had a major part to play. The Holy Spirit is wooing each one of you. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you've heard me say it before and you feel that turning in your heart and in your chest and you're like, I just, I, I, and you don't do it. I, I mean, I want you all to know that that weird feeling is the Holy Spirit. That weird, weird feeling and you're not alone. It's the same feeling I had. It's the same feeling I ignored two times in a row, week after week, and then sat in a car with my friends, and they're like, are you an idiot? How much more is it going to take? Do you not understand that Jesus loves you? 
Do you not understand in your own chest, in your own heart, that God really is, that Jesus really is who he says he is? Do you not get that? And I was like, I do get it. And they're like, did you feel that, that feeling, that unease? That's the Holy Spirit saying, you're not right. Get right. Accept the work that I did. You can't do it on your own. And I did it right there in the car in the parking lot of a church. It's not about where you do it. It's not about who prays with you to do it. My two friends who knew basically about the same amount I did, pretty much nothing, except they knew Jesus, brought me to the Lord. Was it cool? Was it right? Do you get what I'm getting at? Too often, church turns this into something that it's not. It's accepting the work that Jesus did. It's repenting of the fact that you can't get there on your own and your sinful ways need to be given over to God. That's it. That's it. Why do I say that? Why am I making such a point about this? Because Christians, I got to say something to you. Far too often we have people that come into the church and they're like, yeah, I messed up too much and I'm just not right with the Lord. It means that I don't think we're doing a good enough job of explaining it to begin with because you never were right with the Lord. None of us were. What made you right with the Lord was Jesus and the work that he did. If you hold on to that, you're never wrong with the Lord. (laughs) Do you understand? You are still messed up like we all are, but you are not messed up because of the blood of Christ. That's the point. So I want to encourage you guys. Don't stop coming to church because you messed up. That's the very time you should be coming to church. If you've got it all figured out, good for you. You're going to mess up soon enough. Keep coming to church. Right? None of us are walking in perfection, are we? If you are, I'll step down, please. Because I'm not. It's all about Jesus. It's always been all about Jesus. And that's what he says here. He says this profound thing. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. What is the Christ? The Messiah, the Meshiach, the Savior. You are the Savior. You're the Messiah. You're the one that came to earth to fix this. That's what Peter said. Do you get how we just don't know that? Listen, if you think you kind of get that and you can get that in your head, then why is it that all of humanity, especially guys here, are always trying to fix things? I'm just being real. Your wife's like, I need to talk. Oh, well, let me hear me here and I'll fix it for you. Come on. No, Jesus is the only one that can fix things. He's the only one that fixed it. Right? Like he's the Messiah. And then he says this. He says, the son of the living God. He's saying, you're deity. You're not just the Messiah. You're more, right? Like, because they didn't, the Jews were like, what is this Messiah going to look like? And they knew he's going to be special. And, but the reason they kept going back to Elijah is because they had all these human prophetic examples of things that they're like, well, that was pretty amazing. Elijah was a pretty cool guy. And so they didn't know what this Messiah was really going to look like wholeheartedly right? Obviously, most of the religious leaders missed the point entirely, so they obviously didn't know what he was going to look like. They didn't expect him to look like this. But Peter comes in, and he's like, not only are you our Messiah that I know for sure that the Old Testament has talked about over and over and over again, but you're God. You're God. You're a deity. 
And I need us to understand this, you guys, because I've said it a thousand times. For those people that say that Jesus was a good teacher, means this. Because this is the only two things Jesus can be. Either he is who he says he is, which is God in flesh who came to die for your sins and rise again. Or, you guys, he's a complete lunatic. There is no good in between that. Do you understand? If someone that I looked up to and said it was a good teacher suddenly told me that the only way to get to heaven was through him, I would say, you're a lunatic. We need to take you to the loony bin. Now, if that guy dies and rises again, maybe I'll start listening. And that's what Jesus did. I believe that with all my heart. And that's the thing you've got to come to terms with. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? I want to say this about Peter before we get into this next section. He used this this name, Simon, hearer. But we know that Peter was given the name Stone, Rock, right? That's going to lead us into this next section. So I'm switching gears here. Flip over with me to, to the book of John, the gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 40. Before we get into this next section, we got to kind of understand this part. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 40 says this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him, John the Baptist, this is who they're speaking of there, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated as stone. Cephas is the Aramaic for stone. Peter is the Greek for stone or rock. Why do I say all this? Well, let's keep reading and we'll find out. But just keep this in mind that this is exactly who God, who Jesus was calling this guy named Simon right away from the beginning. You're going to be a rock. That's what your role is going to be, right? So let's keep reading in verse 18. This is a continuation of what Jesus had been saying. He says this, and I also say to you that you are Peter And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should not tell anyone that he was Jesus the Christ. Interesting ending there. But you guys, Jesus continues this statement by saying on this rock, I will build my church. Now, why do I keep bringing up Peter? Well, we're going to look at some things here because we got to ask this question. On this rock, Petra is the word being used there. Petra. You guys ever hear of the band Petra? Dude, that was like my first rock concert when I was eight years old. My brother, the bass was so loud that he puked all over the people in front of him. It was awesome. That was an, it was an awesome rock concert. I loved it. They're like, this means war. And he's like, It was just awesome. I think it was, began my love for rock music right there. Just amazing. Anyway, 
Petra means rock. That's what it means. Do you guys ever hear of the place called Petra? There's actually a place called Petra. Why? Because it's a city carved out of rock. It's a city of rock. Right? Every rock star is like, yes. So Jesus continues this statement by saying, on this rock, on this Petra, I will build my church. And there is debate over this one word here. This. This is the word of debate. What is Jesus saying when he says, I will build on this rock? Well, there's a lot of debate here. The Roman Catholic Church says that Jesus was speaking directly about Peter, that it was that rock that he was going to build upon. They believe that Peter was the first pope, that this was where kind of the idea of the papacy all began right here in this moment, right? The apostolic succession, or more specifically, the papal primacy, had been hand, has been handed down through that line of the Pope, of, of Peter being the first Pope, all the way down to the modern Pope. That's what they believe. Now, there was a huge divide. This was one of the main points of division with Martin Luther, right? With Zwingli, who started the Anabaptist Baptist movement. All these different people that came in, and that, well, two main people, basically, that started this movement called the what? The Protestant movement. That's what we're a part of, y'all. We're protesters. That was the point. Protestant, right? The Protestant movement. And so the Roman Catholic Church believed this thing. What did that mean? That meant that they had all authority, right? Remember what we just read? Think about it from that perspective. If this means Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. That sounds pretty exclusive, doesn't it? It's one of the big reasons why the Roman Catholic Church believes that if you are not Roman Catholic, you're not going to be in heaven. Now, I just want to clarify something. We're Protestants. I obviously don't necessarily agree with that. But I'm not here today to bash on the Roman Catholics. I'm here today because these verses, you guys, have been misunderstood for a very long time. And I, again, I say what I said up front, the caveat, I'm not a scholar. I'm giving you what I've studied. I'm giving you what I believe makes sense. If you disagree, it's okay. You're not going to be the first. They've disagreed for hundreds of years. Join the crowd. I'm just trying to throw my little two cents into the, little, the huge pond, right? And so take it for what it's worth, but this is just the way I see things is that I don't believe that they're speaking about Peter, that this, this rock that he's building upon is on Peter. And I think that we have really solid clues into that. The one thing I can say that I'm a little bit scholarly in is that I took three semesters of Greek. I learned the entire Greek language. I read the entire Bible in Greek, the New Testament. I read a lot of things in Greek. How much do I know of it? A little bit, (laughs) right? But we had to do all that. So I do have a background in Greek. And yes, I did study it pretty hard, really hard as a matter of fact. But here's the facts. The word for thought or idea in Greek which is what's being discussed earlier when he says like, man, good on you that the Lord gave you this thought, essentially. The Greek word there is diaoinai. Diaoinai. That word is a feminine word. Why do I say that? It's a feminine gendered word. Peter, his name is Petros. That's a masculine gendered word. Do you guys get where I'm going? Am I going way too deep here? Forgive me if I am. There's a real reason behind this. 
Just like in the Spanish language, just like in pretty much any Latin-based language, which, by the way, came, Latin came from Greek, so a lot of this is based in Greek, all of this, you don't mix a male and a female gendered word together. That's not how it, how it works. And so when you're reading Greek and you see a male gendered word, you're looking for the next male gendered thing. So if you've got a noun, you're looking for a, a, a male gendered verb that's going to attach to that. And vice versa. If you've got a female gendered word, you're looking for a female gendered word that's going to attach to it. Does that make sense? Just like you do in sentence structure, except English, although it is difficult in its own way. In Greek, in Greek, you can have so many participles and everything that your subject of your sentence might be way down here at the bottom. And you have to like pull it up and it's really crazy to learn all this stuff. But here's what I'm getting at. When we look at this, you guys, we have a female gendered word Attached to what? Another female gendered word. The next female gendered word we see is Petra. Petra. This rock, Petra, is attached to diaoinai, which is a female gendered word, meaning the thought that Peter just dropped is the rock that Jesus is going to build the church upon. Do you get what I'm saying? It's not on the human being, Peter. That's a male gendered word. It doesn't make sense in the Greek. So just from a language base, it already is off the table. Do you understand? But, but let's go one step further. Doesn't it make sense that Jesus would say, I'm going to build my church, which is what he says there. He doesn't say the church. He says my church off of what was just said about who? Him. He's not saying, Peter, you are the man. Woo. It's all on you, buddy. You better get to it. Because the very next thing we're going to read next week is he's going to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) I don't think he was building it on Peter's back. I don't think Peter was big enough man to hold it. It is obvious that it was being built on Jesus. Amen? So we can only logically conclude that it was being built on this idea that he said, which is, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the basis of the church. That is the foundation that the church is built upon. It makes this so painfully clear. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Deliverer. He was God in flesh. We repent and accept the work that he already did. And Jesus said, if we do that, the gates of hell, they're not going to prevail against a church that understands that point. It's not about this human being, Peter, that was a flawed man that screwed up. And we're going to read next week, screws up right after this moment. Right after this moment. Amen. The fact is, you guys, we have and we serve a big, big God who sent his perfect son to die for us. That's the basis of the church. That foundation, you guys, we can stand on. And it's the only one we can stand on. So this next thing that Jesus says is also something that's highly confused. He says that the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. And then he says this, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He says he's going to give the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, a couple things. Keeping this idea that the Roman Catholic Church, which was around a whole lot longer than the Protestant Church, in case you weren't aware, right? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years longer. 
That's where we get this idea, you guys have ever heard of this, about the fact that when you get to the pearly gates, that Peter's going to be the one that gives you entrance. That's where it came from. Because they take this verse and they're like, well, Peter obviously has the kingdom uh, to the gates of heaven. He has these keys. That's what Jesus said, which is a misunderstanding of the whole point. But that's where we get this idea, this popular notion that Peter is the gatekeeper, that he's the one that's going to see us there and say yes or no on whether we're getting in, which is a ridiculous notion, right? But that's where it comes from. So the papal, the papal signet ring, I want to take a look at that. So the Pope actually wears this ring, and this is what he makes his insignia on it. And it's just an interesting point, but do you see the two keys? Get where that's coming from? Kingdom of heaven. Those are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The papal hat up in the top is just that sign of papal authority. It's saying, like, we have authority given by Jesus over everything, and we are the one and only church. It's kind of messed up. Do you see how they've taken one verse and turned it into something that it really wasn't meant to be? Now, before we get too bad and too hard on the, on the Catholic Church, guess who else does that a lot? We do. The Protestant Church does that a ton. Why? Well, because we're all humans. And so that's why I always say, and I will always say, let's just keep it really simple. It's Jesus. He died on the cross and rose again. Believe it. Let's let God figure this other stuff out. Let's like do our best to chew and understand and do that. That's our job here at church. But man, I'm not going to go and build all this huge amount of doctrine off one verse. I'm going to like let God work that stuff out of us. Figure that out. And when we get to heaven, guess what I think everyone's going to do? Even the most learned scholarly person is going to get up there and be like, oh, I didn't have that part right. And some of us might get up there and be like, we had it right. Woo! And, it, and then guess what we're going to do? Thanks, Jesus. Right? It's all about Jesus. So this verse is also why this Pope kind of, why they look at the Pope and they think, man, this, this is the one that has all the authority. This, just this one verse is where it all stems from. They say that whatever you bind on earth will be bound and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. It's yet another verse that's very hard to understand and is very often being used out of context. How is this used out of context in the Protestant church? Hyper-Pentecostals will tell you that they're going to bind demons or they're going to bind sickness out of your life and they're going to loose prosperity onto you and they're going to loose, you know, good works onto you. They're going to loose all these things onto you, binding and loosing. It's misunderstanding it. The Catholic Church over the years, you guys, has used this in a very negative way. They've bound people and said, if you want to spend less years in purgatory, which isn't biblical, right, then this is what you've got to do. You need to walk up these steps on your knees 150 times. That's what some popes made people do until their knees were bloody. And then they would come out and they would sit in the snow on their knees waiting for the pope to finally decide, oh yeah, okay, you're done. You're good. You're forgiven. Go. I don't see that in scripture. That was where they took this verse of binding and loosing. So it's not one way or the other. It's not like one church has it right and everybody else has it wrong. It's not the way it is. I think on some level, a lot of people have it wrong. And I'm not saying by what I say that I've got it 100% right, but I will tell you what I've studied and what I believe this is really getting at. And I think that the idea of this and why we go through the scriptures verse by verse by verse is because we always want to remain in the context of what we're speaking of, don't we? 
It's what happens when we take one verse and we turn it into something is that we've literally lost every piece of context. It's what the hyper-Pentecostal church does whenever they say that they're going to bind and loose things is that they don't even understand the context of binding and loosing. They don't get it. It never had anything to do, anything to do with prosperity or demonology or any of that. It had nothing to do with any of it. You guys, what is binding and loosing? Well, it was a really common thought to the Jewish mind. This would not have thrown them at all. None of the disciples were there thinking like, sweet, devil, I bind you. Woo! That's not what they were thinking. It's not at all what they were thinking. They would have just been like, yeah, this is a normal thing. What does it mean? It means binding and loosing means this. What is the appropriate response to the law of Moses? That's what it meant. You were bound by the law or you were loosed by the law. Think about it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You're loosed to do that. You're free to do that. Freely love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Do not murder. You're bound. You don't get to just go murder people. You're bound by the law. You're bound by that. And that was kind of the basics, right? That was like the stuff that was easy. The Ten Commandments, you're bound to those Ten Commandments, which means that if it's a freedom that you have in those commandments, like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you get to do that. Just do that. Don't put a God above me. That's a bind. Don't do that. Right? Do you get it? That was the idea. But remember, there weren't just the Ten Commandments. There were 613 of these fences that they built around the Ten Commandments. There was a lot of laws to follow. And some of them were a little gray. Sound familiar? I've talked to a thousand cops. That's not true. I've talked to a bunch of cops in my day that will all tell you, if you're friendly enough with them, dude, I don't even bother pulling anyone over if it's like five miles an hour over the speed limit. Have you heard that before? I'm not saying anything new. A lot of people have heard that. Does that mean you're still bound to the speed limit? Yes, you are. Have I gotten lots of speeding tickets? Yes, I have. I'm not acting like I'm up here and I'm doing great. I'm just saying we have a law here. It says 55. They might loose you within a five-mile range because that's their choice as cops, but that doesn't make the law any less binding. Does that make sense? So let's look at this. To bind was to prohibit or forbid people according to the law of Moses. To loose was to permit or allow people something according to the law of Moses. And this was a complicated process at times. I came across something as I was studying that I found really hilarious, but also really, really poignant. Ancient rabbinical writings tell us of a process of binding and loosing that dealt with about where your dog died. Where did your dog die? That was the rabbinical writing that took up space for this one section of of their writings. If your dog dies in your house, is your house clean or unclean? It's unclean because there's a dead animal in there. So you need to go through the rituals and clean it. If your dog dies outside of your house, is your house clean or unclean? It's clean. It didn't die in your house. It died on the ground outside. You're good. The house is not unclean. Now, what if your dog dies on the doorsteps connecting your house to the outside? Is your house clean or unclean? Hmm. That's a tough one. So this was how they, they parsed it out. This is what the rabbinical writing here, this was their ruling. So if the dog died on your steps with the nose pointing towards the house, on the steps, then your house was considered unclean. 
you were bound to the law. But if your dog died with their butt facing the house and the nose facing outward, well, then the house was clean and you were not bound to the law. You were, you were loose from the law. And I know it sounds silly, you guys, but do you understand? And I'm trying to get your head around this. That was literally what that meant. Like they were doing the job of binding and loosing in that moment. That's actually what it was about. Now think about the hyper-Pentecostal church that is binding things that make no sense in light of the context that it's in. Any rabbi would look and be like, what are, what are you doing? And loosing financial provision? Says who? It has nothing to do with it. And yet we hear it a lot. A lot. Turn on TBN. It doesn't take much time. You'll hear it. You guys, we need to keep the context. We need to understand the context of Scripture. And that's all it meant. Now, Jesus was not giving us authority to bind and loose people from all these things. It's ridiculous. But there is a real idea of binding and loosing that Jesus was giving to the disciples, to the apostles here, that was real. Think about this, you guys. Most of the New Testament is letters that were written to the churches, mostly by Paul, but we have two letters by Peter, right? We have Jude. We have all sorts of letters in here. We have all sorts of books after the Gospels. What is all of that? Most of it is binding and loosing, isn't it? Think about it. The book of Acts, Jesus says to Peter, he reveals to him, listen, you've kept the dietary laws of the Old Testament. You've kept the dietary laws the way, they were on, the way they were written. Do you guys remember this story in the book of Acts? But then he's up there, he's hungry, he goes into this vision, and there's a sheet that comes down, and there's all these animals that come down. And he said, rise, kill, and eat. Rise, kill, and eat. And what did Peter say? Because Peter loves to put his foot in his mouth. No way, Jesus. I know what the rules are. Come on. Right? And Jesus is like, do not call unclean. What I'm telling you is clean. That broke. That was a binding and a loosing. That was a loosing of something that they had been bound to for years, which I say amen to because I don't know about you all, but I love me some bacon. (laughs) So I'm glad we're loose from that. I'm glad we're loose from that. Now let's go one step further. We see Paul dealing with the same type of stuff. Because they're like, hey man, if the meat has been sacrificed to an idol, do we eat it or do we not eat it? Are we bound or are we loosed? And what did Paul say? Don't ask, just eat it. It's meat. But if they tell you, then don't eat it. Because now you know and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to hinder them. So there was this binding and loosing, this idea of like, look, there's rules and there's ways we go about things. And we're, we're learning all that. And we read that, you guys. And we have it all written down for us. So they literally were being given by Jesus here, kind of, their job description. When he says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. You guys, that's right here. That's right here. And I'd say it's still happening. On some sense, it's still happening today. And it deals typically, this idea of binding and loosing deals more with the gray areas than, right? Because it's obvious, you guys. If someone came to me, came to me and was like, hey, pastor, I just don't know. I really just want to murder this guy. Mm, he's frustrating me. I'll be like, mm, let's go, Exodus. Pretty, pretty way back there. Do not murder. Not right. That's easy. You're bound, right? But what about this? I've had people come to me like, is it a sin to smoke a cigarette? Show me chapter and verse that it says it is. 
Is it bad for your health? Absolutely. Horrible for your health. We have tons of cancer research that shows that. Right? But the point I'm making is, is that we get to like look at that stuff and chew on it. And I'm not saying we've got it all figured out, but it's the same type of thing of binding and loosing and being like, dude, there's nothing in there specifically that says you cannot smoke a cigarette. But I would tell you from a health perspective, it's a very unwise decision. The Bible makes it quite clear. Listen, there's absolutely nothing wrong with drinking. Don't drink to drunk. Well, I've had people come up and be like, well, what does that mean? Well, if you ask the question, stop drinking. <laughs> if, you're, if you're pushing a line, stop. Because that's not the point. But again, if I'm being honest, where do I bind and loose? If you begin to feel a buzz... And I have felt them in the past, so I'm not Mr. You know, Goody Two-Shoes up here that doesn't know what that feels like. If that's where you're at, you're no longer in control of yourself. And I would say, by, by definition, you're pushing drunkenness. That's wrong. The Bible makes that clear. You're wrong. So if you want to have a beer with a pizza, have at it. If you want to have six with a pizza, no. <laughs> and if you're like, I can handle it, well, then you need to slow down. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I, we're not here to make, like, we're legalism. That's not the point, right? And it does sound ridiculous to say the dog died facing in, so therefore, no, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that was the point. And that's what he's trying to say. There's going to be things that we just don't get, that we don't have it explicitly 100% written down, and we've got to chew on that stuff, and we need to use the standard that God's given us right here to the best of our ability to come to that conclusion. And two years from now, y'all, I might be convicted to a point where I'm like, no, smoking is bad because I, listen, I told you guys this before. I used to swear all the time until one pastor finally pulled me aside and was like, you need to stop in the youth group dropping the F-bomb. It's not right. And I was like, show me. And he was like, he showed me. He was like, do not use crass language. And I was like, oh, okay. I've said this before. I want to see it in scripture. But there are times that I'm not going to lie to people and be like, it's that way because I said it. <laughs> God forbid. Who am I? I want to be able to say it's that way because God's word says it. And I might say, man, it doesn't say it explicitly, but we do have this verse and this verse and this verse that kind of make it lean that direction, I feel. But I'm not going to give more than there is to give. Does that make sense? So we have the act or the right or the ability, I should say, to like work and grapple and chew on these things. So God uses ministers and church leadership to try their best to follow his word when we give an answer to questions that are posed. And a great example of this, you guys, that's really kind of crystal clear to me is marriage. How many couples have you heard, and maybe some of y'all were this couple, that were like, we're having sex before marriage because we're married in God's sight. You guys ever hear that one? Oh, come on, y'all. We're married in God's sight, so that means it's okay. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. And I will tell people this all the time. I'm like, dude, if you can't wait, then go get married. And the Bible makes that pretty clear. If you're burning with desire, if you're burning with desire, go get married. Go do that. That's the right thing to do. You hold and wait. What standard are you bound to? Well, listen, if you go to the justice of the peace, there's a standard, right? That's still a legal marriage. No one looks at that in the state. No one looks at that anywhere and says that's not a legal marriage. There's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. But this is where the binding and the loosing comes in. If you want to get married at Great Bay Calvary and you come to me, there is a 
binding that I put you under. And that is this. You will go through premarital counseling. And I don't care if you've been married before. You're going to go through premarital counseling. That's part of being married in this church. You're going to be married by me or another ordained minister. That's just the standard to be married in this church. And you can look at me and say that I'm a jerk or whatever, and I don't care. (laughs) Because that's a standard that I'm binding this church to. And it's not like I'm some wackadoodle that's up here making some crazy rules, right? This is a pretty standard procedure. You want to go through premarital counseling because I don't care how long you've been together. I don't care if you've both been divorced and you understand everything. You do not know each other that well yet. And every person on the earth, especially the men, say amen because we still don't know our wives that well, do we? We got a ton to learn. So yes, premarital counseling is important and we're going to go through it. And it's a six-week process, process, so you need to chill for six weeks. And if you want to get married at week seven, let's do it. But we're going to get through that process. Do you understand? Do you see how that's a binding and a loosing? I loose you to get married here. Not that I have any authority, but if you want me to be the one that's standing up here and legally marrying you to, you need me to loose that in you, which means we're bound to a certain standard that we're going to walk through. Do you guys understand what I'm getting at? Do you understand how ridiculous it is to think of, in my opinion, to think of binding and loosing into this weird, ethereal, spiritual kind of weird world that I don't think it really was ever meant to be in context? So now that I have just, you know, magically solved hundreds of years of debate. (laughs) Not at all. Yeah. I would just say to us, you guys, let's not try to turn it into something that it's not that it was never meant to be. Jesus was saying through this whole section, you guys, that as the Holy Spirit worked in the hearts of the apostles, that they were going to be used to build the framework, the framework around the cornerstone piece, right, of Christianity saying Jesus is the way. The framework is all the stuff that gets built around that. Like, hey, if someone comes, and, and it still happens today, by the way, my wife worked at a place and she was, they invited her up to have some food. By the way, I'm just saying, there's still some stuff that we have to parse out and work through that we found in scripture. Grace was invited up to have this amazing food by this person that she worked with that was so awesome. And she got up there and the lady said, right before she took a bite, yeah, I sacrificed this to my Indian God right before I, right before I made this. And she was like, oh man. She was like, this looks so good. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I, I can't eat this. And the lady was like, what? No, it's just a... And she's like, no, I just, I just can't. I can't. And so do you understand how she bound herself to something right there in that moment? Would God have forgiven her if she would have ate that delicious food? Sure. But in that moment, God convicted her and said, no. Do you get what I'm saying? So that stuff still happens today. We still have to work through things, don't we? We all do. And none of us have all the answers. And I just got to tell you guys something. I love and appreciate that this church comes to me. And I'm sorry for the amount of times you guys probably hear me say like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, let's look in God's word and try to figure it out. But, and if I have, feel like I've got an answer from the Lord, I'll give it. But I'm, I would rather be safe and say that I don't know and try to figure it out with you than to just spout some stuff off that just isn't true. You know what I'm saying? And so that's something we're all working through. And none of us have that figured out. But to conclude, the major point of today wasn't all that last half. It really wasn't. I felt like it was important to get through today, 
because I just want us to have an understanding of things. But the main point is this question. Who do you say that I am? That's the main point. Christians, I think we need to constantly be asking ourselves that question. Who do we say that he is? Because I think it's easy for us to be like, he's my savior. He's my Lord. He saved me. And I think we believe it, right? But the reality is, you guys, is he really the Lord, the master, the boss of your life? Is he really the savior of your souls? Is he really the only one that's worthy of your complete devotion? Here's why I ask. And I'm not up here judging. I'm asking because I've got to ask myself the same question. Because here's the reality. The truth is, if he is, then are we acting and living and believing that in the way we act and in the way we speak to others? If we really believe that he's Lord of our lives, are we acting in a way that says it? When he says, go talk to that one person that I know you don't want to go talk to. When he says, give away that money you've been saving for something to give it away to do something else. When he says that, man, I know you've been saving on a vacation, but I want you to go instead on a mission trip. So you're going to use that money for that. Or, man, I like being, listen, we just got rid of all three of our kids. And the Lord sometimes will be like, and I love the fact, I love my kids. And I I really miss that they're not home all the time, sort of. (laughs) But it's nice. It's just nice being in an empty nester. It really is. Right? Am I wrong? All y'all empty nesters? You're like, it's sweet. Right? Yeah, that's right. I saw it. Yes. It's kind of nice. But the truth is, God has on more than one occasion said, listen, someone is moving into your home for a little while because you got extra rooms. And you can just suck it up, buttercup, that you don't get to walk around in your pajama shorts and your t-shirt all the time. Right? That have, that have like stains from all the ice cream. <laughs> like, I don't get to do that for a little while. Well, I need to sacrifice because Jesus is Lord, not me. Do you get what I'm getting at? Is Jesus Lord? Because we're going to act and live and speak to what we really do believe is true. Aren't we? And I got to say this. Much of what people think about Jesus is based on what they see and hear from people that profess to be Christians. So if we're mad that the world looks at Jesus and calls him things like bigot, or if we're mad that we look at, at you know, people in the world and they look at Jesus and just think he was a good teacher. I think there's a part of us that needs to look at our own lives, not to take the blame of the entire church history. We can't. But to look at our own lives and say, boy, Lord, am I doing? Am I living? Am I speaking your words to the world around me? Am I doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing into the world around me? Because I got to tell you, If we walk this truth out, it should look different. Our lives should look different than the world around us. Amen? If we walk this truth out, it should definitely look different than what the world expects it to look like. I love not telling people I'm a pastor as long as humanly possible sometimes because they're swearing and they're doing their thing and they're just having a conversation and talking about drugs and blah, 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 blah. And I'm listening. I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah, no, man. You know, my brother struggled with that stuff too. Yeah, oh, that's struggle. And then it gets to a point in the conversation where they feel comfortable. and like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and then they're like, ha, 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 ha. You know, but the point I get to make then at that moment is that dude, and I'm the same as you. I'm just as messed up as you, and it's okay. 
So let's keep talking. Let's continue this conversation. Let's not turn it into something it was never meant to be, some weird thing. Let's just keep talking. And I love that opportunity when I get it. Because to me, you guys, that blows their expectations entirely out of the water. I love that. Not only because I like reactions, that is a big part of it, but honestly, because I feel like the Lord opens wide a door that so often Christians are so quick to close with other people because we forget that we were just like them. And but by the grace of God, there go we. Right? We're not special. God makes us special. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus as Lord, I need to ask you a question. Who is he? You need to answer that before you die. It is the most important question on the literal face of the earth. Who is he? And I'll say it again. He cannot be a middle of the road, Mahatma Gandhi, good man. Because Mahatma Gandhi seems like he was a pretty good guy from what I can understand, but he wasn't Jesus. He didn't save anybody. Right? He wasn't that. He was so much more. The Bible makes it clear. Flip over with me, you guys, real quick. Romans 10. The Bible makes it abundantly clear who Jesus is. Jesus himself makes it clear. John 14, 6. I will say it again. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's really exclusive. He is the only way. But Romans 10. Paul says this, starting in verse 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It makes it abundantly clear. You want to know Jesus? Confess it with your mouth. Believe it in your heart. You're saved. It's not some magic trick. It's something that God does in you. It's something that God already did 2,000 years prior to this moment. And way before you were born, he knew every sin you were ever going to commit. And also, by the way, after you get saved, he knows all those too. He loves you. He loved you so much that he died for you. Second Peter, flip over there with me. Second Peter chapter three. Here's Peter, the rock, speaking some truth to us. In chapter three, starting in verse nine, it says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. What's he saying? Look, man, Jesus hasn't returned yet and it's been a while, but that's because he loves you so much that he's waiting on you. It says, but his long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You guys, God is wooing each and every one of us to himself each and every one. And if you're here today and you have not accepted that yet, I would love to pray with you. And I will be in the back after this. There are plenty of other people here that know Jesus that are just as capable. I am not special. I get the privilege often to pray with people, but I'm not it. 
Give somebody else a privilege too. Talk to them and be like, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus guy. Because Christians here today, we're called to go, tell, live. We're called to go and make disciples. That means it's our job, our job, not my job, to tell people about Jesus. It means that any one of us that are call ourselves a Christian should be able to say, yes, I will gladly and absolutely, profoundly thank God that I get to be the one that gets to bring you to Jesus. What an awesome privilege. So if you're here today and that's you, ask somebody around you, come talk to me. He wants everyone to come to him. And I got to say this, if you continue to choose the world and walk out today and say, yeah, I don't want to deal with this yet. I want to keep dealing with the world. The fact is, and what Peter's getting at is, you don't know the moment of your death. And I firmly believe Jesus is going to return and it might happen right here, right now. And I'll be like, wow. And you'll be left behind. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm just being real. It's honestly what I believe. I don't want to see that. So the truth is, you guys, if you keep choosing the world, this is as close as you'll ever get to heaven. But if you accept the work that Jesus did into your life, this is as close to hell as you ever get. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.